Thank you. I know that's slightly embarrassing, but uh, um, that never stopped us before. So, do we have the uh, registration pads handed out now? Would you please look carefully at the, at the uh, initials in your announcement sheets and if any of those would be a way that you'd be willing to become involved in the body of Northland, please put down the appropriate initials beside your name. Please put your name and address and, and whatever in every week. This is, a, this is something we're going to do every week because every week there's a new invitation to be a part of the body and this is how you become a part of the body. Um, and you've been responding wonderfully. You've just done super, and we really appreciate you for that. I love this. You want to say a prayer with me? Okay, let's pray. Father, we present to you this day Matthew Joseph Cam, who we would like to dedicate to the knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ, and along with his family to the learning experience. Help him to be a little disciple as he grows, and then when he comes into the knowledge of Jesus Christ, to love you as his father and mother do. And bless his father and mother with heavenly wisdom and guidance so that they might raise him in such a way that unconditional love will not take him by surprise. He will have known about it for years and years. We pray this in the spirit of Jesus Christ. Amen. Look at this outfit. Isn't that a neat outfit? Red tennis shoes. Yes, sir. Another reason that Jesus sat down to talk was that it symbolized in the old time. I'll see if I can stay sitting through the whole thing this time. <clears throat> symbolized in the old times the official position. This was the position of a rabbi when he taught the traditional truth the truth of a time-honored God. I heard a story one time about uh, a little girl who went out with her father and they were walking through the woods and they came upon this stream and it had the most beautiful flowers along the edge of the stream. And she began to run ahead and say, Daddy, I want to pick these flowers. And the father who had been in that woods before and knew quite a bit about nature, looked to the other bank where the same type of flowers were growing and noticed that the swiftness of the stream had undercut the banks. So what looked to be a solid ground was not a solid ground at all. And he said, wait a minute, if you go out there, you're going to fall down into the stream. And she said, but I want to pick these flowers. Can't I pick any of them? And he extended to her his hand, and he said to her, you can pick as many of them as possible while you are still holding on to my hand. I want to teach you today about God's plan for the leadership of this church. And I want to say to you in no uncertain terms today that the elders of this church are God's hand and you will be on shallow ground if you begin to exercise your abilities or capabilities without holding on to that extension of God in this world. Now this seems to be a very extreme and a very definite kind of statement. 
But I want to show you biblically how God has planned this. First of all, let me give you the definition of an elder. The, the word elder, the original Hebrew word from elder comes from a word that means chin or beard, which is good news to Marv Mingle, Dave McCoy, and Charlie Jones. The reason for that is that whoever was an elder was one who was full grown. That is one who was mature enough to grow a beard. And that is part of the definition of an elder. One who is full grown or at least has all the capabilities spiritually of what he needs to have in order to advise people. Let me say to you also that the concept of, of leadership is not only found in the Judeo-Christian tradition. If you look in your scriptures closely, you will see elders in other cultures as well. In Genesis 5, or 50, verse 7, it talks about going down to Egypt and talking to the elders there. The Egyptian culture had elders. In the other passage that I have written, by the way, there's an outline in your bulletin, and that's kind of the outline of the, of the teaching this morning. It talks about the elders of the Moabites. So in every other culture, God has planted also at least a vague outline of his plan for spiritual leadership. And it is not exactly... Uh, as it is in the Judeo-Christian uh, religion, but it is uh, found all over the world. We have talked before that Romans 1.20 says God leaves his footprint, so to speak, some evidence, some harmony between cultures. And in every, any culture you can find a hierarchy of leadership. I was reading about a month ago in a science magazine about Dorothy Chamber, or Cheney, I'm sorry, and uh, Robert Seiforth from the University of Pennsylvania went to Kenya, Africa, and they observed vervets. And vervets are these cute little monkeys. And they recorded these cute little monkeys, and after spending a time with them and observing them very closely, they noticed that these people had, these people, these monkeys, <clears throat> had what was a pretty sophisticated system of communication. And they also had a pecking order that is elder vervets <laughs> and not so, there were, there were, there were ways that you would, vervets would address vervets and they would address those in authority with a different grunt than they addressed one another and they addressed um, um, people, uh, I'm sorry, they addressed outsiders of the tribe in yet a different grunt. And what was really interesting to me was that they also observed in younger or baby vervets um, the tendency, they had cries, they had, they had specific cries. If there was a leopard coming, they had a specific grunt. If there was a snake in the grass, they had another grunt. If there was an eagle in the sky, they had another grunt. And, and, and when, you, when, you, when there was an eagle in the sky, somebody would grunt when they saw him and everybody would look up. And the difference between the elder vervets and the baby vervets was that any thing those babies saw in the sky, they gave the eagle grunt. And so anything that flew over, a sparrow in Florida would be a flying cockroach. They'd go, eagle, you know, and everybody would look up and then <laughs> get real mad, you know. Well, all of this is to say, even in a, uh, a 
simple um, culture of monkeys, the ability to discern what is cause for alarm, the ability for a general context of information is given to those who have that capability, see? And the younger ones uh, tend to overreact to everything that comes along. It's that way with human beings too. If all of us had equal say in the governing of, uh, governing of something, we would be going all over the place. We would all be reacting to different stimuli in a fairly consistent way. But what God has done is given to us several men in every church that have a perspective that can tell the difference between what is cause for alarm and what is not cause for alarm, that have that kind of maturity. Now he did it, he began this in the Old Testament, and if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn in chapter 18, and he did it through Jethro to Moses. This is a, is a passage, Moses governed thousands of people with wisdom that he, came, that he got from God. And he was so worn out after doing this, his father-in-law recognized it. He was burning the candle at both ends. This is what leaders tend to do. And so he came over to him and he said, why are you doing this? And, and Moses says in verse 15 of, of chapter 18, because the people come to me to inquire of God. Now, therein lies the chief function of an elder. They are to communicate to the people something of God. And that's why a, 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 an elder is, ne is necessary. Because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, in the, verse 16, I make known the statutes of God. And so Jethro says, Moses, you can't do this. I mean, you just cannot, you cannot accomplish everything. I will give you counsel. Listen to me. Let me give you counsel. And I want you to select people. Now, this is in verse 21. Select out of all the people, able men who fear God. Notice the first prerequisite is the fear of God or humility. The second prerequisite is that they be men of truth or men of discernment. They be learned people. And we need not fear being learned. Listen, there are some Christian communions who bless their hearts. I know they're gonna, we're going to see them in heaven. But they fear learning. And they don't want truth unless immediately they can make a connection in the Word. God does not speak with a forked tongue. The same God who wrote the Bible created the world in science. And therefore, you need fear nothing you can discover in science. You need not keep yourself ignorant, and you are not more ignorant if, or more holy if you are ignorant. As a matter of fact, the smartest people in the world, the smarter you get and the more discerning you are, the more holy you become because you realize where that truth comes from. So it says, men of truth and those who hate dishonest gain. Now, I want you to remember these because these will be the same prerequisites that we find in the New Testament. In other words, men who are humble, men who are learned, and men who have integrity. Those are the three prerequisites for an elder. 
And he says, you shall place these over them. Now, there is a hierarchy here. It's not a complicated one. It is a simple one. We need to have leaders and we need to have followers. And those, that's, as, that's as complicated as, as it gets. And then it says this, And let them judge the people at all times. If there are some that are too complicated for them, let them, let them bring those to you. But let them judge the people. And then I want you to notice something in verse 23. I don't want you just to think that this is an advice, a piece of advice that Jethro gives to Moses. In verse 23, it says, If you do this thing, and God so commands you. This was not Jethro's bright idea. This was a commandment of God. This was an institution of God for the leadership of His people. And God so commands you. He says, Then you will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. In other words, there's, there's kind of, an, there's kind of a, a, an innuendo there that they will be able to resolve their problems. Okay? This is not only good for you, Moses. This is better for them. All right. And then in the Old Testament, the other scripture reading in 2 Samuel says that elders all the way through the Old Testament have authority. When David, the greatest king in Old Testament life, is anointed, you know who anoints him? The elders. They are the one who give power to rule. And that is still in the job description of an elder, and that's what the elders ought to be doing, giving power to rule in the name of God. But they have a very special place all through the Old Testament. Okay, now let me go on with history. I know you hate history. I love history. I'm trying to <laughs> kind of take that into consideration as I go along here. Let's go to the New Testament. First thing I want you to notice in, in the book of Acts, and I've tried to kind of pare this down for you, turn to Acts chapter 11. If you can find it. New Testament. All through the book of Acts, which is the beginning place for the church, and that's what I want you to see, the elders are the authorities of the church. Now there are two things that I want you to notice here. First of all, I want you to notice that the way of selecting elders has not changed all through the years. The way of selecting elders is co-optation, which means if you look it up in your dictionary, it's in your dictionary, to be chosen to add an individual or individuals to a committee or a board by vote of those already on the committee or the board. These people were not elected by democratic vote. These people were elected through the discernment of the leaders and they were anointed and empowered by those leaders, co-optation. And that has been God's plan all through the years. The New Testament made a tremendous difference as far as the availability of God to everybody. And as far as the power of the Holy Spirit and how that Holy Spirit would work through every Christian. But the New Testament did not make a difference in the way the leaders were chosen. They were chosen by other leaders, the elders. The elders and the apostles, and by, there, there, by the way, there is a differentiation there because... They have 
two different functions, but not two different authorities. Elders have their authority to confine, confine to a local congregation for which they are responsible. Apostles are people who are sent. It, apostle literally means one sent. And therefore, an apostle can be an elder in several different churches or have conversation with several different churches. Um, and I don't want to make this too complex, but, but, but that's why they say the elders and the apostles. Apostles had no more spiritual authority than the elders. You can't read anywhere in the New Testament where an a, a, a apostle overrules an elder. Couldn't do it. And they had, maybe the apostles had a little more personal authority because they had been with Christ. And certainly that would give them, at least on a feeling level, uh, one up in the pecking order emotionally. But governmentally, it is not true. Okay. This is where you know for sure that God sets policy for his church by the discernment of the elders. And if you'll read that chapter, I'm not going to read it to you, but if you'll read that chapter, you will, you will recognize that a res the responsibility of the elders is to set policy, and then in the last, in the 23 through 29, you'll see that a responsibility is also to communicate that policy where God is leading us at this time, and then to tell the body where God is leading us at this time. Okay, let me now get into the teaching portion of this, not just the historical portion, but the teaching portion. I want to share with you, first of all, the functions of an elder. And I've got these in reverse order. I, I keep looking over at this sheet here, and I shouldn't have put them there in that order. I want to talk mostly to the elders at this time. There are five elders in this body. Four of them are here today. Another one, uh, Dave McCoy, is uh, on a trip. But I want to talk to you as the elders of this body and exhort you to what God has in mind for your function and for the qualifications of being an elder. And I want to do this in front of this congregation for a very good reason. We are accountable to God, but we are also accountable to the people. That what, that's what makes, it, makes being an elder such a difficult thing to do. And I want to say to you, not so much from a scripture reading this time, the scriptures are there, you can read them. I want to say to you on a very practical level that God wants you to rule by first doing two things. First of all, he wants you to care about people. The care and feeding of his flock should come first. Listen, emotionally, somebody only has as much authority in your life as they feel like you care for them. What gives you a legitimate authority in somebody's life, emotionally speaking, we're not talking about God's government, we're talking about emotionally, is when, you, when they know you love them, they will listen to you. And what God wants you to do is to care for his people so that they know it. Do you know how important that is for people to know that you really care for them? It's more important that they know you care for them or will care for them in an emergency than it is anything you could say or do to make them perfect.
Let me give you an example. In a book called uh, The uh, Passion for Excellence by Peterson and a woman I can't remember. Uh, the only reason I can remember Peterson is because he, he wrote In Search of Excellence. They were doing a, they were doing a marketing survey and uh, they came across uh, the same kind of phenomena that is typified by, by this one story. Some woman was going to buy a new washing machine and she was bound to determine that she would buy a GE washing machine. And her neighbor was trying to talk her into what we'll call brand X. And the neighbor said, why are you so intent on buying a GE washing machine? And she said, because I've had a GE washing machine for years, and every time it broke down, the repairmen were here within a couple of days, or within a day, or within a 24-hour period, or whatever. And the woman looked at her, and he says, but I have brand X, and I've had mine as long as you've had yours, and mine has never broken down. And the woman said, paused, and she said, I don't care, I'm still getting a GE because it might break down. Now listen, what that says about people is a deep truth. People want to be loved and taken care of more than they want to be perfect. They don't care about your guarantees. They care more about your concern for their life. And if they can look at one person who will make them perfect and look at another person who will come to them and love them in their brokenness, guess which one they'll choose. You elders, listen to this. People want to know you care. A shepherd is someone who takes care of a flock. Doesn't make a flock perfect, but takes care and makes sure that flock has what it needs to grow. Secondly, an elder's job is to exhort with sound doctrine. If you are to be men of truth, then you need to discern what is sound doctrine and what is not. And folks, that is a hard thing to do because there are many gray areas in life. And you know what? Being able to exhort in sound doctrine is being able to say, on the one hand, this is black and this is white, and on the other hand, this is gray. You do not always have to come up on a certain side of something in order to be strong. All right? Every time somebody has a disagreement, we believe that we have to have an answer in order to be strong. You know this in your own lives. Every, every time somebody, um, when people are going through a divorce, you feel like you've got to side with one person or another in order to take a stand. You don't have to take a side to take a stand. Let me say that to you again. You don't have to take a side to take a stand. You don't have to know everything in order to exhort to sound doctrine. But the Bible says you've got to know the difference between black and white and gray. And this is very important for God's people. They want to know that you can give them, now listen, this is important, what they need to live. They do not want to become attached to you as a parasite. They want to learn from you 
what they can use on their own. That's what sound doctrine does. It makes one stronger, not weaker. One of the differences is that you can tell, one of, the, one of the differences between a cult or a sect and a, a community of believers is that in a cult or a sect, those people are totally dependent on the leader. Well, my leader says, and pretty soon the leader's words become equal with Scripture. It shall not be so among you, the Bible says. Elders, you teach in a way that people become stronger. And they want to become stronger. I don't care what it, I don't care what it looks like. You know what? Remember when, uh, not too long ago, they made a cake mix. They put a cake mix out on the market that all you had to do was add water. You know what happened to that cake? And it turned into a beautiful cake. You know what happened to that cake mix? It sunk. I mean, not the cake. The sales went. Nobody bought it. They took it back to the lab, and somebody was smart enough to say, you know what we did? We took the cake making out of cake making. So what they did was they made a cake mix that required that you add an egg and that you mix it up and that you put it in the oven. They put it on the market and the sales went like crazy. Why? Because people wanted to feel like they were a part of it. You understand? It's the same way in spiritual truth. You can tell somebody the truth and they won't buy it. But if you give somebody enough that they can be a part of that decision every day of their lives, man, it will skyrocket. So exhorting to sound doctrine means that you lay it on the people, things that they can decide, ways that they can grow. And then the last one is rule. And I know that that is a word that really we don't like. I know that here in America, in the land of the free, in a home of the brave, in our rugged individualism, we get bristles on our necks when we think somebody's going to rule over us. The first thing we do, give them one of these. Who's he to be telling me how to live my life? So on and so forth. You understand? Don't let that back you down, you elders. Because it's your responsibility to rule. Not everyone can come up with the same answer. And when people resist rule, their lives literally fall apart. You know why? Because this world has a law, the second law of thermodynamics, which is... Everything just kind of drifts apart. Everything winds down. Everything breaks up. Everything in this world is literally Murphy's, Murphy's Law. If anything can go wrong, it will. It's the law of entropy. And therefore, when we act as individuals, and we say, I'm going to do my own thing with God, nobody can tell me what to believe. Nobody can tell me what to do. It's just me and God. And God's given me a spirit just to go straight to Him and find out my answer straight from Him. You know what happens? 
That is a rebellion that will eventually sow seeds of destruction. And what we have right now is a whole culture of Isaiah 53 people. You know in Isaiah 53 where it says, and they were like sheep, each one going his own way. We've got a whole culture of people that respect no authority and are slowly destroying their own lives because of their resistance to authority. Elders, let it not be so among you. Do not be backed down because of people's resistance. If God gives you a truth to God, you see rules, not rules, rule. That's different, much different from rules. Rule, an authority, a cannon, a yardstick, a measuring device. That's literally what a cannon is. A measuring device helps people grow, and it helps people come together. When people come into the church, what are the first thing they want to know? What's expected of me? I will decide by that whether or not I want to get involved. What if we say, whatever? They have nothing to come together about. Rule is what holds people in common. And therefore, God works His way in that way. Now let me go on. The qualifications for being an elder, we're going to talk about this in our men's group on Thursday mornings. We're going to gather here and we're going to go through a book by Gene Getz called The Measure of a Man. And basically what that is is qualifications for being an elder. And let me say to you that there is no quality in the life of an elder that is not required or not hoped for in the life of every Christian man and woman. God wants us all to be mature, that mature. And so the Bible says, all of you, if you aspire to be an elder, you aspire to a wonderful thing. Therefore, we're just talking basic spiritual maturity. Those are the qualifications, and you can read those on your own. But I want to say a few more things to elders. When we go to the text for today, <laughs> when we go for the, I'm not going to say, oh, 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 sit here. Somebody released me from my inner time clock this week. This important stuff, listen to this. When we go to the text for today, and we read it, the first thing that you'll notice in Peter, who was Christ, if Christ had a favorite disciple, I really believe it was Peter, the guy was off the wall, and every time God chose three disciples, Peter was always among them. Someday, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about how, I have, a, I have a sermon called Crazy Pete. Someday, I want to tell you that sermon. This is Peter. And he's saying, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. I want to give one more exhortation to you elders. You are to rule with the kind of humility that has its own authority. That you do not, you are not required to rule by office. You are only ruling by truth that is evident to other people. That is what you need to aspire to. 
And elders need to have humility, now listen, toward other elders. When Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand, he meant it. Elders cannot be against elders and have any kind of authority, spiritual, emotional, practical authority in the church. That is a house divided against itself. And when Peter, who may well have been Jesus' favorite, says, I'm just a fellow elder, he's lifting them up in such a way that they have the same status he does. Therefore, every elder needs to be able to say of other elders, not only in this church, but in every church, I respect them. They are my brother elders. I walk in humility before them. One time somebody came to Samuel Taylor Coleridge, who is a great poet, and said what was a cutting comment against Wordsworth and, and called him, in effect, a small person. And Coleridge looked at this man and he says, I do not wonder that you think that Wordsworth is a small person. He runs so far ahead of us all, he dwarfs himself in the distance. You need to have that kind of respect for your fellow, fellow elders. It is absolutely important. And you need to realize that when they respect you, it's not so much who you are, but who they see behind you. One time FDR went to Africa with Eleanor, and he, he, he visited this, he was visiting all over, but, but one day went to a, uh, a uh, village in which Eleanor couldn't go with him, and so he rode through the car, and these people kept lining up on the street, and, uh, and they kept pointing and shouting, Calado Romeyan, Tola, Colorado Romeo Tola, Colorado Romeo Tola, and so on and so forth. And he was kind of in there, just waving and everything. Got towards the end of the parade, and he asked his driver, "What does that mean?" And his driver smiled and translated, "That's her husband. That's her husband. That's her husband." See, many times what we would be proud of is not our office. That the ability we have is, is, is who stands with us. And I don't mean our wives. Sometimes it is. But I'm talking about God. Therefore, please, offer yourselves in humility. You have every right to be humble. <laughs> and last, a charge to the congregation. What is due to an elder is very clear in Scripture. To an elder is due honor, reverence. And I cannot tell you how important that is. You know, sometimes we will not offer that because we see with physical eyes. Just as people in Jesus' hometown said, I'm not, hey, I'm not buying into that. I knew that guy before he was the Savior. And we, we see with physical eyes. And so we get cut off from the most powerful resource within us. And you know what that is? Is reverence. Is praise. The most powerful resource is reverence. And when we withhold that, we're in trouble. When we come in here 
You can, you can withhold it because you're seen with physical eyes. When you come in here, if you see an old skating rink and you treat this place like an old skating rink, and folks, I'm not going to pull any punches. You do. There are any number of you people who leave about this place old, moldy coffee cups. You leave your trash here. If God came back today, He'd look at you and say, I gave you a house of prayer and you turned into a garbage dump. Don't do that. This is a house of prayer. And if you see in here an old skating rink, it'd be okay to leave your garbage in an old skating rink, but this is a house of prayer and this is every bit as holy to God as First Presbyterian Church. Don't leave your garbage here. Don't see with physical eyes. This is God's house. And when you see an elder, don't see through physical eyes. See with a potential. See with spiritual eyes. See that God has given you a leader. See with reverence. One day I was flying a kite. Last story. And it was way up in the sky. You ever done that? Way up in the sky. And I thought to myself, if I would let this thing go, it could really sail. So I did. And you know what happened to it? Straight toward the earth. The people who hold that string for you make you sail higher. The people who, who would restrict you make your flight possible. And if you will treat them with reverence, God will lift you up. Jesus said it is not what goes into a man, but what comes out of a man that condemns him or blesses him. If you look at an elder and say, he's not so hot, that condemns you. But if you look at an elder and say, there's a spiritual leader, someone whom I can thank God for caring for my church. And if I ever need him, me personally, you will be revered. We need to have a prayer. Lord, as we take this time to introduce these elders... Help us to see them as part of the grave responsibility that you have given your church. And help us to pray as John prays for them in reverence. Let me introduce to you the elders of this church as they are here. I have no order for this. Lon Garber, would you come forward and stand on this first step, Lon? Lon is the chairman of the elders this year, and when you're an elder... You are an elder for life because that's what Scripture says, but they trade uh, being chairman. Lon is uh, the chairman this year. Uh, by the way, also, elders are entitled to pay. Uh, but all of these elders that I am introducing to you are working for the body for free. Um, Lon has his own computer business, and that's why he can work for us for free. If it goes down the tubes, we will pay him. Um, David McCoy is not here. He is in British Columbia. He is a dentist. He is the elder elder. 
He has the gray beard, uh, more hair on his chin than he's got on top, and uh, you will know him when you see him. Blessed man. Charlie Jones. Uh, Charlie is an engineer with Martin Marietta and has been an elder here for, what, a couple years, Charlie? Marv Mingle. Marv is a physician in town. Um, he has been an elder how long in this body, Marv? Ten years, an elder in this body, almost as, as long as the congregation has existed. Bob Lane. Bob is a supervisor of a laboratory. Um, I'm telling you this not so that, uh, but just so that you can know them a little bit better. Um, and is right now the elder who is helping us relate uh, to the uh, renovation committee. John Park, would you say a prayer for these men? We just praise you, God. We just love you so much. Lord, we just want to lift these elders to you, that you've given them to us, to guide and direct us and love us and care for us. Lord, we just thank you for the love you've given them to guide us, to give us this building and bring Joel. Lord, we just, when we focus in on your love, it overwhelms us. I want to ask a special infilling wisdom for these elders that you give it generously, we ask. And we're asking, Lord, that you give it to them, that they can guide and direct us. And just thank you for sending your son to make this all possible. In his precious name, amen.